Father, we thank you so much that our heart is filled with praise. It is filled with praise because it was you, God, that made the first move toward us. While we were dead in our sins and trespasses, rebellious, going about doing our own thing, wicked sinners, you in your matchless, insearchable grace, bountiful love that is beyond us understanding. You had set your love on us in eternity past. And you chose us. And because you first loved us, we are now by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives and resides on the inside of us, we are able to love you back. What a wonderful, wonderful, amazing gospel story. God would give his life as a ransom for the many to save us from ourselves. And it's because of that love, our hearts, are filled with praise. And this we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I'm going to dive right into it. Please stand as we read from Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read, start at verse 1, and we're going to read all the way to verse 17. And as I've said before, Romans is, is filled up with some of the most Good, best, I wouldn't say best, but just good doctrine that, um, that the Lord has given to us. And so we're going to jump right into it. Here we go. Romans chapter one, eight, verses one through 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who, have, who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, 
then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom you, we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if God's children also heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And this is the word of God. You may have your seats. Holy Spirit, come and power your son, your servant. Remove the fear, the timidity, and anything else that would hinder what it is that you would have me to say today. In Jesus' name. I have been gone for a few weeks, but, and came right back hitting the ground running. So ministry is ministry. So enough of that. Well, God's message to the whole world is a story about God. I think I heard somebody pray that today, even Dion. It's not about us. It is about God. And God created humans in his image and in his likeness. We've been making that point over and over again. We didn't create ourselves, but God created us. And he created all humans in his image and in his likeness. But humans became corrupted by sin. And physical and spiritual death came about because of it. And then God set in a plan of redemption that was already pre-planned. And that plan went into effect with him promising that a Messiah, his son, would come and to save his people. That's why you celebrate Christmas, if you didn't know that. You love the Christmas story, don't even know what it really means. It means the God-man came into the world, the greatest gift of all, to save sinful people. And therefore, according to Hebrews 2.10, he would bring many sons and daughters by this work of redemption to glory. That's why he came, to adopt many sons and daughters for his glory and to his glory. We're in part three of God's message to the whole world about a month ago now, it seems like, last time I preached on this, Romans, we explained that Apostle Paul spelled out that there are only two classes of people in the world. The redeemed and those being redeemed and the unredeemed, those who are left in their fallen state of spiritual 
death. So really two kinds of people in the world, the redeemed and the unredeemed. And as the psalmist say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Thanks God for the redeemed. And we see that in these two classes of people that Paul spells out in Romans 8 verse 6, we read in verse 6, Paul spells out in these two classes of people, the unredeemed, that the, now the mindset of the flesh is death, the carnal man, the carnal person, the dead person. And, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. And then verse 7, he says that the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God, can't get along with God. There is no peace with the mindset of the flesh. Paul says it's hostile to God. Doesn't like God. Doesn't like anything about God. I don't want to be in God's heaven. We got this idea that people who are rebellious hate God on this side, all this place, get to heaven and want to be with God. No, where the tree dies is where it lies. <laughs> Something about the heart. So the mindset of the flesh is, is hostile to God. Paul says because it does not submit to God's law. Have no interesting desire to keep God's law at all. No desire at all. And then Paul says, indeed, it is unable to do so. Can't do anything. The person who's living in the flesh. And then verse 8, and Paul said, those who are in the flesh, he ends it by saying, they cannot, they cannot, they cannot please God. There is no flesh that can dwell in his presence. The flesh, I was thinking about this and I was going to, I don't have this in my notes, but I'm just going to, you know, how many of you, and I don't want to ask this question, but I'll just put it out there for you. But how many of you, unfortunately, you should not have done unless you work in the medical field, have ever had the, um, <laughs> how should I say this? The, any, of smelling a dead human body, deposing human body. If you have ever had the, a chance to smell a, a dead human body, it's a smell that you will never forget. You would probably try to spray every fancy cologne up your nose that you can after smelling that. And if, I think God did it that way on a purpose to kind of help show us what death is. The ravages of death, the, the sickness of it. He's like, that's death? That's how it smells? Yes. Rotting flesh? It's like, wow, we look so good here today. That's why they got to put us six feet down. We need more than six feet social distancing. They got to put us all the way six feet deep <laughs> because of the smell of a human body. A stench. Death. It's bad. And Paul says here, those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. The flesh, this outside of God, it cannot bring anything to God. Nothing. It stinketh in the King James Version. <laughs> we don't read the King James Version here, but some of my Baptist brothers like it. So that's the only word of God. And they would say, it stinketh. <laughs> we just say it stinks, but King James. Well, we established that the flesh, this Greek word sarks, that it refers to the physical body. 
The word also refers to the carnal, sinful nature of humans. As Chad was reading Colossians 3 and 5, he quoted that sinful nature of humans. So sarks. The enemy of the spirit. And this is where the great civil war exists. The sanctification war. Flesh versus the spirit. And so this leads me to my first keynote slide here tonight of this evening where Paul fleshes out this this idea of the flesh versus the spirit, the, the sanctification, the great civil war that's going on all the time. Who's going to win? Flesh versus the spirit. Well, here Paul says in Galatians 5, 16 and 18, Paul says, I say, then walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh or the desire of the flesh. Paul says. For the flesh that stinketh thing sucks human rebellion that Paul speaks in Romans that cannot please God, is hostile towards God, doesn't want to submit to God's law, cannot submit to God's law. Paul says, it desires what is against the spirit. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other. Can't get along. <laughs> you can pray, flesh, get along with my spirit. <laughs> Flesh like, no, I like my way. I like sin. I like breaking God's law. Flesh ain't never going to agree with the spirit. And Paul said these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, then you are not under the law, Paul says. And so because we're talking about Sanctification, the work of God. What is God doing? Why did he save us? Why did he go through sending his son to die on the cross? What's the purpose for all of this? Why do we meet every week on the Lord's day to meet to hear the word of God so we can be encouraged to walk after God? All of this and all of that is called sanctification. So this leads me to my next slide. What is sanctification? It's a missing word in the church today. Some people don't think they don't even know what salvation means. It means stay the same. That's not salvation. <laughs> if you're watching me on uh, Facebook or whatever, YouTube, if you're trying to stay the same after coming to say you know the Lord, that's not Christianity. I don't know what that is. That's called a false reality, hoping to be real or something. It's not Christianity. Christianity involves sanctification. Here's what it is. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace by which we are renewed throughout in the image of God. God made us in his image and his likeness. Sin came and corrupted us through the gospel of redemption. God is remaking us over and therefore we're being sanctified, becoming more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, and then we are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness. That's sanctification. 
in a nutshell. And there are three components. I don't want to say components, how this sanctification works out. As we got to the book of Romans, we've been talking about the spirit and how we talk about God. So this is important. So we're going to get into God. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. God said, I cannot change. That's a good thing. Let me speak. If God could change on you, that means he could love me and unlove me. Praise be to God. Because I know I've given him a whole lot of times to change his mind on me. Thank God that he don't change his mind on you. Now, you change every day. By tomorrow morning, we'll be doing all kind of crazy stuff. And God said, I still love you, Elton, but I keep trying to outrun his love. And God keeps keeping up because he's a long, long distant runner. <laughs> God said, I never get tired. My breath never goes out. <laughs> I don't have to exercise. You do. <laughs> you can drink all you want. You can smoke all the weed you want. You can come up with all kind of crazy laws. My love going to run you down and take you over. <laughs> God said, I unchange. In his being, wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. And that's good because folks try to make God look like he's schizophrenic or something. You look at the world now. They're passing all kinds of laws in California. Men with children. See, that's the world. The world's always changing. Well, because of the way of the world, this is where God must have changed his mind about this. No, you're crazy and God is not. <laughs> you're a Canaanite. You need to repent and come out of your sins. God has not changed. <laughs> His holiness is still the same. Now, by the time me and Sandra clocking out of here, who knows what kind of laws the world's going to put on y'all, millennials. They may say the children are head of the household and not the parents. <laughs> Some judge will probably pass that law. Hopefully, you don't give in to it, Brother Carl. Hopefully you don't say to little Carl Jr. Well, the judge says that you now, little Carl Jr., you know, he's going to have those big calves and big muscles. He said, Dad, I run this house. For me and my house, we run it, me and my brother. And over you in camera said, well, the Lord loveth, <laughs> the Lord taketh, <laughs> King James. <laughs> Never mind, getting off track. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. That's important to understand. Because what we're talking about today it's the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. He lives and resides in us. All right. So back to our text. Carl, put Romans 8.11 up there, that verse. Romans 8.11 says, this is important, what I just read. What is God? If the Spirit, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Then he who raised Christ 
from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives not out there, but in you. Paul says. The Holy Spirit lives in you and I. And then Romans verse 12, which is my text today. So Paul says, so so then. Brothers and sisters. Which is another way of saying this. So then, which is another way of saying, therefore, which is referring back to all that God has done in the gospel. We need to understand the gospel. Paul spells out what the gospel is in Romans three and four. We preach through that. And then he gets to chapter five. He says, therefore. Those that have faith in Jesus Christ, they have been what? Justified. If you've been justified, you now have what? Peace with God. Where there was once hostility abiding upon you, you now have peace with God because you have put your faith in the message of the gospel. And then Paul goes on, he gets to Romans chapter 8. He's explaining the flesh can't do nothing. Paul's, I want to do good, but evil's always there before me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? I want to keep the God, law of God, but I keep failing. So Paul is building it up that you can't do it with, without in your own self-will. So you can go to all the Barnes and Nobles and bookstores you want and buy all the Amazon books in the world on self-help remedies to make you a better person. You're going to fall flat on your face. You can't do it. And Paul's, ah, who's going to save me from this? He's overworked. He said, I'm trying to be a good man. I'm trying to be a good husband. But I keep faulting. I keep falling down. And then he gets to Romans 8, verse 1. He said, therefore, because of the gospel, there's now no more what? Condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, therefore, or so then, here again, he gives this exhortation to the believer, all of what Christ has done for us, that they are not obligated. Verse 11, if the spirit of Christ is in you, you are no longer obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, that flesh that's contrary to the spirit, Paul says. And then in verse 13, go to verse 13, Paul says, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. And this die encompasses all of what death is, even separation from God, eternal death. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, Paul says, you will live. This phrase here, put to death, is thanatu. It's a word that we get, which means to mortify. Paul says, put to death the deeds of the flesh, which he spoke about in Galatians. 
mortify, thanatu, which means to kill, deliver up to death, to condemn to death. It's a mortify the flesh, fight it, condemn it to death, kill it, kill that lying tongue. Theologian John Owen said about mortification of sin, this is what John Owen said, and this guy did a lot of writings on this particular doctrine in itself. John Owen says, a man may easier see without eyes, speak without a tongue, than truly mortify one sin without the spirit. You have a better chance of seeing with no eyes. Let that sink in. Just in case you say, I'm still going to try on my own. <laughs> I hear PA up there, but man, I read the right book. Farrakhan got me. He said, if I just put a bow tie and eat a bunch of bean pies, I can fight it. <laughs> Good luck. Come back. Talk to me. Let's be the Starbucks. See how it works out in about two months. Bring me a bean pie while you're coming. He said, a man may easier see without eyes or speak without a tongue than truly mortify one sin without the spirit. We cannot please God in the flesh. Saints, so Paul's trying to help us understand there is nothing that the flesh can do in God. It is death itself. Only thing we can do by the spirit is mortify it. Thanatu. Fight against it. We need the Holy Spirit who lives in us to empower us to do that. And so therefore, it follows that the work of mortification is the work of the Holy Spirit. Not of you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Who comes to take up residence in you. The work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian believer. And so then Paul goes on, and this is where I want to spend some time. He says in verse 14, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons and therefore daughters. That's a powerful verse. This is the first time that this idea of sons of God appears in Romans. This is the first time. And this is not here by accident. If you're just reading through the book of Romans, all of a sudden Paul gets to this point and says, those who are led by the spirit of God, that they are the sons of God. 
This is not here by accident. Paul wants all believers to know the assurance of salvation and the new identity and the new relationship that we have in God. We're sons of God. We're children of God. If you believe Jesus Christ and the gospel message from your heart with faith, you die with for that, that you are a child of God, a son, a daughter of God, adopted into the family of God. And Paul says those who are led by the Spirit of God, we are the sons of God. I'm not going to be able to get in all of this tonight, but I'm going to just, because I'm going to, you know, somebody asked me today, well, how, where are you at in Romans? I'm not running through Romans. Romans is a lot of meat, and there's a lot of craziness out there. A lot of people don't know the basics of salvation and faith. And so it would be good for us to just allow the Spirit of God to, to settle down where he wants to settle down so we understand, because Stuff I'm seeing and stuff I'm hearing on TV and everything else. It's man, if I didn't know this word of God, I would be nutcake. Crazy. Paul said that those who are the, led by the spirit of God, led by the spirit of God, that's key. They are the sons of God. So what does it mean to be led by God's spirit? That's a great question. What does it really mean to be led by God's spirit? And I'm not going to be able to get into all of this, but I'm going to give you some big comprehensive view. Then I'm going to come back and, and we're going to get into it next week. And as the Lord will lead me and guide me. But comprehensively to be led by God's spirit, it implies that a person is governed by the spirit. Meaning that the activity of the believer is the evidence of the spirit's activity in their life. And the activity of the spirit is the cause of the believer's obedience to the law of God. You and I cannot obey God without the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul was trying to say in Romans chapter 7. If you're obeying God, it's telling you that the spirit of God is in you and you are being led by the spirit. Because the spirit is the primary agent in Christian obedience. Sinners who are unredeemed have no desire to obey God. It don't even enter their mind that I should stop sinning. I should not make these crazy songs. <laughs> As you can see, it's getting crazier and crazier. Because they're sinners. Something should say to Meg the Stallion, why are you saying this? I can't even listen to it, but Meg the Stallion, she thinks it's a hit. It should make it, see, 300 million people watching that. Her and Crazy Cardi B. Because sinners cannot please God. They have no desire to obey God. 
So the spirit activity in your life that's causing you to even want to obey God is the work of the Holy Spirit. And as I said earlier, unredeemed sinners have no desire whatsoever to obey God. Now, Romans 8.14 is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. There's a lot of meat in just this one verse. I mean, I could preach five, ten sermons on Romans 8.14, but I know some of y'all want to get to Romans 8.28 and all the good stuff that comes behind it, and I do too. I really want, I should just go to Romans 8.28 tonight. All things work together for good to the love God who have been called according to his purpose. I mean, powerful text recorded at every funeral. We quote it at the funeral, so even those who have died not even knowing Christ, we just quote it. Hopefully, what you hear today, you will be very careful not to quote search text at any and everyone's funeral that you understand what I'm about to show you. Because we're up at Miles College, college campus minister, and we work with a lot of young people. And one of the great impediments to Christianity in America and here in the Fairfield is that people have seen what they said was Christianity that was actually not. People who said they were Christians who were not being led by the Spirit, but they came to a building. And it used to mess me up until God showed me this text. Because there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who are being led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the children of God. And there's another group who may and may every now and then be among us. But they are not the children of God. Because Paul says those who are led by the spirit of God, they are the children of God. And I'm going to give you, you say, what does that mean? It means you govern by it. It's, it gives some practical implications to that. But I'm only going to give one takeaway today as it relates to the children of God and how this stuff plays out even among us. Because even in the church, you know, you got people accusing the church, American church, where well, they people did this, they did this, they owned slaves, they killed people, blah, blah, blah. And, and they just come, come, come to this passage of scripture where they just look over it. And I did too, so I'm not beating them up. And I thought that anyone who said they were a Christian, I just, well, they're Christian. But that's not true. Those who are led by God's spirit, they are the children of God. Not those who do not follow God's spirit, who are not led by God's spirit. They are not the children of God. And so we're going to see this. And so John, just uh, verse Romans 8, 14, I got to get going here. It's a, it affirms to us that not every human being created by God, God created all humans, is a child of God and a son and daughter of God. God is not their heavenly father, but someone else is their father. Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 8 when he was speaking to the Jews. He says that he was not their, God was not their father because their desire was to carry out their father, their true father, he says, which was the devil. That was their father. He says, in the will of your father, you want to do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning. and You want to murder. and You want to kill. That's who your father is, Jesus says. But Jesus doesn't leave us to be in the blind on this stuff. So I want to give you a story in Matthew chapter 13 called the parable of the wheat and weeds. And this is going to help some of y'all, especially those of you at Miles, because you may see a lot of folks who say they're in church, follow the fruit. <laughs> if you got the Holy Spirit in you, Holy Spirit, I like to say, it's like a good batch of fresh cologne. <laughs> Smelling good. Fruit of spirit. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit is there, the fruit ain't, it stinketh. King James Version. It's not good. It's how you know. So here you go. Jesus talked about this. Um, he called it the parable of the wheat um, and the weeds. A parable is a, is a way of God communicating a spiritual truth with natural means to help you and I to understand the spiritual implications of what Jesus is trying to communicate. So let's read. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the people were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Masters, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? I sowed seed, but look at all these weeds. Where did they come from? And then Jesus said, an enemy did this. He told them, so do you want us to go and to pull them up? The servants asked him. No, he said. When you put up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Jesus says, let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. And so Jesus, they got back to a quiet place. He explained the parable to his disciples. And look what Jesus says. And then he left the crowds and went into a house. His disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. God is sowing the word through the preaching and teaching of evangelism throughout the whole world. He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world, the cosmos. Eight billion people on this planet right now. And the good seed these are the children of the kingdom, the children of God. Those, as we were singing, we love you. Why? Because you loved us, made us alive. They're the children of the kingdom. But who are the weeds? The weeds are the children, one translation says, they're the children of the devil. 
the evil one. And the enemy who sold them, Jesus is not missing words, is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. And the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They have no desire to obey God and the wrath of God abides on them. The fornicators, the murderers, the rappers who talks about fornicating all the time, they will face the judgment of God's holy wrath. We don't hear that. And the sons and the doors of God are those that God has called to himself and is calling. And his Holy Spirit is in you. And this, Jesus said, they're sometimes commingling together. And this is why it's important. And this is what I'm going to pick up next week. What does it look like to be led by the Spirit of God? For they are the sons of God, or the children of God. Practical. Not the spooky stuff that we hear sometimes. That's why church is so serious on the Lord's day. It's very serious. And a lot of times we will see people who have been sown by the enemy in a church to look like a wheat, to look like a sheep, but in reality, they are goat. And someone said, well, they go to Urban Hope. We saw them singing. We saw them doing this and that, hanging out at Brother Craig's house or something. And they'll say, well, that's how the church is. They fake Christians. <laughs> Not knowing that Satan is sowing seeds too. <laughs> that's why... One of the toughest things I had when I came to Fairfield was just bringing honor and, and prestige back to the office of a pastor. Faithful to one wife. Follow me. Check my Instagram. Not sneaking and trying to what they call it on the DMs. <laughs> See, a lot of crazy stuff on. I said, help me, Jesus. I got to get off this stuff. Who came up with this IG stuff? Man, it's full of the devil. But we got to be on there because the way of communication. But I ain't trying to do no down DMs, whatever they call that. Hey, I'm PA, you know, Urban Hope Pastor. <laughs> you know, Sandra ain't treat me right. Can I get at you? And then in the time I got to Fairfield, folks just thought, you a pastor, you just got to be crooked. Because they're running to so many crooked, devilish pastors. And I say, no, man, Sandy is enough. <laughs> I love me some Sandy. When I'm really in love, I just call it sin. I ain't take the DUI off. <laughs> had an email, EJ, and then we sent it on the board, and she called me something. I had, you know, every now and then I go on the phone, I be sending something on y'all phone, y'all have all these sweet names. I put it in there, brown sugar or something. I don't know what I put in there, something chocolate lover or something. And everybody on the board saw it. Oh, my goodness. I said, man, I, said, I don't even know what was it. What did I say? EJ saw it. EJ said, man, Pastor Hardy, 
I said, man, I love me some Sandy. Praise God. <laughs> Every pastor got to have one off to the side. Those who are led by God's spirit, they're the sons of God. To mortify the deeds of the flesh. To put to death. And so as we get into this, so much meat. Here's my takeaway. Just this one verse. Verse 14. Not every human being created by God is a child of God. You have to distinguish. They're made by God. But that doesn't mean they're a child of God. The children of God, the sons of God, are those who are led by his spirit. They are the children of God. And the others, unless they repent, which is the work of the spirit, it is what it is. So, Father, we come to you thanking you so much that we are, by grace today, the children of God. And you are still in the saving business. And I trust and believe those that are here visiting for the first time, and maybe they've never really had a heart-wrenching conviction of the Holy Spirit. We cannot convict ourselves. It is that comes by the power of the Spirit that says to our hearts that we are sinners. That is all of you. I pray, Lord, if that is the case, that you would continue to work in their hearts whereby they would cry out, save me, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. And may I too become a son and daughter for you where I seek to follow you. Holy Spirit, go before us tonight. Be with us as we wrestle and war against the lust of our flesh that comes to lead us astray. And Father, as we see sin abounding, but you've told us in your word that sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so we pray for the bountiful pouring off your grace upon us and in us. And that we would do desire more and more to be led of your spirit in all that we do and say. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's be dismissed. The presence of God has received this benediction. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance towards you this day and grant you his peace. Amen. Amen. Pass the peace of God to your neighbor as we make our way out of here.